I invite you to open your Bibles and look with me at Psalm 34, which we will be meditating on this evening. We notice that this psalm contains an inscription, an introduction, and that gives us the context of this psalm. The inscription states of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This brief introduction takes us back to the chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. You are probably familiar with the story, but before reading the text, let's remember the context of Psalm 34. David had already been anointed to be the next king after King Saul. David had already killed the champion of the Philistine military, Goliath, the giant. And the women of Israel were celebrating and singing about David, saying, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul became extremely jealous of David, and he vowed to eliminate his threat to his throne, and he went on a hound to find and kill David. Fearing death, David fled to a city in Philistia. Remember, he just killed Goliath, and he and the armed force of Israel pursued the fleeing of the Philistine army all the way to a city called Gath, which, by the way, this city turns out to be the city where Goliath was from. Goliath was the champion who had been celebrated through all Philistia, and probably the Philistines were all mourning his death and the humiliation at the hands of David and the Israelites. However, where does David flee? To Goliath's hometown, Gath. But David was recognized by the king's own men. And he was so afraid that he changed his behavior and he pretended to be insane. Because of his behavior, the king sent him away and David fled from Gath into the desert. As he reflected on those moments, he grows this psalm. Here now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, and life-giving word. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man 
who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desire life and love many days that he might see good? Give you tongue from evil and you live from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his wounds. None of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of God, and it's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love and for us good. This evening, we're going to be studying this psalm under two headings. First, an invitation to worship God. Second, an invitation to fear God. In verses 1 through 10, we read how David experienced God's providential deliverance in his life. The introduction to Psalm 34 is David's testimony to the goodness of God in his life for what God has done for him and for him in his life. In this psalm, David is inviting others to join with him in exalting God's name. Those of us who have experienced God's mercy in our lives naturally seek others to worship God. And this is what David is doing. David experienced divine liberation because he is remembering how God saved him he knows that he should not just praise God in good times, but instead he must praise God at all times, no matter the circumstances. We see how David continues saying that he boasts in the Lord. Although boasting about oneself is the height of pride and impiety, boasting about God is correct so that we see that God is with us, that God, when the, weak, when the weak and afflicted hear it, will remember God's goodness, and they will rejoice. David wants his servants to share in his praise and his joy. We see how he invites us to thank the name of God with him and to declare the greatness of God. David invites exaltation of God's name. By doing this, he's referring to God's reputation. 
He's exhorting the congregation to bear witness to the great acts of God in history in their lives. In the following verses, verses 4 through 7, David gives us more details of his deliverance. We see how David found deliverance from his fears by putting them in the God of hands through prayer. And this is something that also applies to us. In times of our lives, we are carrying many fears from uncertainties about what is coming next, probably because you are changing a job, you have probably to make a big decision. And these moments in your lives is when we must come to the Lord, bringing all our fears and rest in, in God, like David did. David's circumstances may not change probably overnight, but in the end, God delivered him he preserved his life. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, the promise of prayers does not mean that God will change every difficult thing in your life, but he will preserve you as long as he, he has work for you to, you to do, and he will transform even the difficult circumstances by his presence and perhaps by the presence of others who sense to be with you. And the Lord is doing and is going to do this in your life as David wrote in these verses. Listen as I read them again. David is completely sure of God's deliverance and protection and there is no doubt in these verses. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David continues writing in verses 8, encouraging us to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Notice that he doesn't say that the Lord is good only during the good times. Rather, he means that he is good at all times, even in times of affliction, in bad times, that the Lord is good. We are to trust him against all odds, to lean on him and rest in him, even when it seems like there is no way out, when things are not going how we would like them to go. Even then, we must trust and see that God is good. The fear of God, a reverend, a pious fear, will always accompany trust in God. When we fear God with such a fear, then there is no need for us to fear things with an unholy fear. As God has proven time and again in his word, that in our lives, that we can trust him with all our heart. In the remaining verses of this psalm, 
David's roles toward the readers change. And this brings us to our second point this evening, which is an invitation to fear God. In verse 8, David assumes the role of a teacher and adopts the mantle of the man of wisdom who gathers his students around him. Since the enjoyment of the premises, promises given in this psalms depend on the attitude to, of fears toward God, David must instruct his students on how to develop this attitude of fear. But what is the fear of the Lord? Most scholars make a distinction between what we mean by fear and what we call reverence. This is correct, of course. The dictionary can define the fear as awe, profound reverence, especially for a supreme being. But Pastor James Montgomery Boyce wrote, this is not how David defines the fear of the Lord in this passage. He defines it not by an emotion or attitude, but by action, using words later picked up by the Apostle Peter to describe the essentials of our mortal life. In 1 Peter 3, 10 to 12, we read, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The true fear of God consists in doing what is right in obedience to our God. The fear of the Lord is enjoying the Lord and tasting and seeing that He is good. The fear, is the, Lord, the fear of the Lord is obeying Him. And with this definition of fear of the Lord in mind, David appeals to us to our desire for life when death threatens, to our desire for many days when they seem to be few, to our desire to see good when we face evil. And what is his advice for when we find ourselves in such situations? Do we find a way to deal with the situation? Do we lament? Do we complain? Let's look for some of the particular ways that David phrases his teachings in these verses. When David asks, who is the man who desires life? Does he mean who is going out and researching ways to live longer? Just the last few months, the news seemed to be full of articles of new research dedicated to helping people live longer. There are individuals with great wealth who are spending their fortunes and their time and their effort to return their bodies to their health and well-being they had at their younger age. But is this really what David means? No, 
David doesn't mean that we need to follow a certain diet or to try these new experiments to give our, our body, air, uh, bodies more time. Instead, in these circumstances, he meant, who wants to survive this cave experience, be renewing heart, and then enjoy better circumstances when the Lord so wills? He proposes something that will ensure both, both longevity and vitality. Instead of the early solutions, David said that it's a matter of fearing the Lord, walking upright before him, and tasting and seeing that he is good. Then, in verses 13 and 14, David said, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In the face of need, we must seek God intensely and trust in him. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Resting in God involves the fear of the Lord and involves trusting in him completely with all our heart and committing ourselves to do his will, to follow his commands and to make decisions that pleases him in the practical matter of lives, to turn away from evil and to do good and to seek peace and to pursue it. David's example in this situation with the Philistine king show us that in times of need, sometimes it's so easy to lie or to do the wrong things, but that's not the fear of the Lord, as the fear of the Lord is to do what pleases God. Then in verses 15 and 16, we see a change in the language that David is used. And for the rest of the psalm, he contrasts the life of the righteous with the life of the wicked. The righteous are those who belong to God and fear the Lord, those who have taste and have seen that God is good. Instead, the wicked, on the other hand, are those who will be destroyed for not fearing the Lord and those who do the evils in God's sight, David reminds us that the eyes and ears of the Lord are attentive towards the righteous to see the anguish and hear their cries. But the face of the Lord is against the wicked. And David even goes so far as to say the memory of them will be cut off from the earth. David is looking forward to the redemption that we receive in our Lord Jesus Christ and the promise that God will preserve those who are his children until the end. Even in time of trials and anguish, God is attentive to our Christ and will deliver us for his glory. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that in Philippians 1.6. 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The final fulfillment of all the promises in Psalm 34 is found in the Gospels, in the life, in the death, in the resurrection, in the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 34 provides us of a way of giving thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his mercy to praise God for something that he has done for us, for his people, and to offer thanksgiving in a form of a worship to him, we should take note of the word of Psalms 34, this song of thanksgiving for deliverance, and we find hope in them for deliverance through Jesus Christ for all life's trials. God delivered David and he rejoiced in his deliverance. But what is essential here is our deliverance from the eternal punishment due for our sins. And for that deliverance, we must look to our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord redeems the lives of his servant through his life, through his death, resurrection, and ascension. And David continues writing, saying, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Why won't they be condemned? Because Jesus Christ has taken that condemnation in our place. Friends, many are the affliction of the righteous, but at the end of the day, God will deliver us from all of them through the saving words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus experienced terrible pain and cried out to God in the agony of his soul. As the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 5, verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. In this psalm, we see the fulfillment of the promises in the crucified Lord. For even on the cross, none, none of his bones were broken. God the Father was with his Son, guaranteeing even the smallest details so that his mission as the Lamb of God will be fulfilled as he has promised. This is how we can taste and see that our Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that our hearts will learn how to rightfully fear you. We bow before you, acknowledging as our Lord and Savior of our lives, praising you for your might, your sovereignty, your power, your strength, your mercy, and your justice. We thank you for your unending love, even as we not deserve it. Thank you, and we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.